Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. This is a very bittersweet week as we are coming to the end of the summer meets. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the kitchen table at the little house on the east side. And joined today while I start, I just have to force myself not to think too much about the coming end of the meets and then the saddest day of the year next Tuesday. And to help me uh, not wallow, we're going to bring in the co-host of this program. He is from Windstar Farm. He's Sean Tugel. What's up, my man? What's going on, Pete? Uh, don't wallow in it too hard. I mean, you, you've got to enjoy eight weeks up there. You get two dark days now. <laughs> I mean, life sounds pretty good up there. You're right. You're right. And it's not like there isn't an abundance of exciting stuff happening. Kentucky Downs underway this weekend. Keeneland, only a, a short stone's throw. And Woodbine Mile in between. I'll be up there with our pals, helping out with the tournament a little bit, but mostly hanging out, doing some special podcasts for our friends up at Woodbine. That's going to be fun. You're right. There's a, there's enough exciting stuff happening that I really shouldn't cry, but it's just – Yeah. It used to be when you'd go back to school, that was more of like the New Year day than New Year's was, and now – I mean, it's really the exact same thing leaving here. It's that back-to-school feeling, and for me, it's just sort of an acknowledgement of the passage of time. I think it's still – it's sad in that regard, but it's happy in terms of how great this summer was and how much fun stuff we've got coming up. And I'll start today's show, Sean, with an apology to you. Uh, we're a little late to record today, and I blame the Saratoga Ninja Lab. <laughs> well, you know, I mean – that it definitely gets like the parent of the day award for uh, <laughs> not only like finding out about Ninja Camp, but also putting everything on hold, which you should do as a father to uh, make sure your your kid arrives safely at Ninja Camp. Now, <laughs> what are they Nerf stars? Like what? We, we got nunchucks. Like is this is this monkey bars? What are we doing here? Have you what, seen what, the show? What, what's, have, the, what's the itinerary? Have you it's seen American Ninja? You know, correct. American Ninja Warrior, and then there's a kid offshoot of it as well and basically people have built these garages all over the country this one is in malta i thought it was a little closer that's where i got a little confused with the timing of the show today it ends up it is 10 miles away from here so it did take a minute to get there and get back and start recording with you but basically they have the whole course set up no joke i'm not sure if i'm supposed to mention names or not so i won't but there's a couple of jockeys who go there to run the course as well. They have an adult version of the course, kids version of the course. It's ridiculously cool. And I know a lot of listeners to the show, they're up here in the summer looking for something to do with their kids ages five to 15. And for them, they have special summer camp programs. And I took Perrin and her friends yesterday and they liked it so much they wanted to go back today. So anyway, it's a great place. You should check it out. And I'm not just saying this because Dan, the proprietor, is a listener. And when I called, he actually recognized my voice, which was extremely flattering, of course. It's actually just that cool. Put it on your radars, folks, for your Saratoga child care needs for 2020 and beyond, Saratoga Ninja Lab. But all right, enough nonsense. Usually JK and I on the other show get deep into the nonsense. You and I usually keep it to business and we do have a really cool show with a couple of great guests coming up before we get to them though sean i do want to talk about some of the races happening this weekend we are knee deep in two-year-old stakes races and the first one we're going to talk about is going down saturday night 
out at Del Mar. I say night as an East Coaster. It's, uh, you know, appropriate uh, feature race time out there in Del Mar. It's the Del Mar debutante. Did you take a look at this one, and what did you see when you did? Yeah, certainly this race took a little bit of a hit uh, with with the de- defections of both immediate impact, the um, the half-sister to Arrogate, who was a ultra-impressive TD and Rising Star, as well as the other TD and Rising Star, Malfi Sunrise, who unfortunately got injured there about a week or so ago. Uh, still, you, you have uh, a, a good group of Phillies assembled, uh, eight of them going to post. Um, you know, although we do have the back-to-school feeling, uh, what, what I like about this time of year is, is we're starting to get into the, the real the meat of some two-year-olds that have already run, and uh, we're not too far away from the Breeders' Cup. So uh, fall is a very exciting time, and, and, and it really kind of gets kick-started this weekend when we see the, the debutante and the, the hopeful and the futurity and the spinaway. But, um, you know, looking at this, there, there's been an interesting trend that I've seen a little bit. Uh, you know, a lot of California guys um, came to the East Coast, this, this past spring and, and early summer, we all know the issues that, that were occurring out there. But I've seen a couple horses. I, I saw a horse of, of Jeff Mullins the other day that, that kind of ran first time out of Ellis Park and then came back to um, Del Mar, maybe late Anita, and, and ran a, a really big uh, number second time come back. And, and this is what we see here with, let me pronounce it hopefully correctly, Lucathia uh, for Peter Miller uh, ran a, a – Okay, first time out, you know, nothing to get you too too off, but then came back at Del Mar, and it was a maiden 62.5, but ran off the screen and won by 14. So she's 3-1 on the morning line. Um, but I am going to lean on a, on a filly who uh, is coming, going to be making her third lifetime start. She had a nice progression from five furlongs to six furlongs. She has a long, powerful move down, down the uh, – the stretch. She's definitely going to like stretching out further. She's going to love two turns when she gets to it, but it's called it's the Philly powerful attraction uh, for Peter Erton. Um, Peter does a great job bringing these horses along and improving race to race. I do think this Philly, if you if you watch her her two races, she loved long stretch of Los Alamitos. She made a big uh, sustainable move in the last race. Was never going to catch a multi sunrise. Um, but I don't think she's running into anybody of Amalfi Sunrise's talent possibly in this race. So I expect her to uh, have a big chance, and I, I like her sitting there at 8-1. to one. Um, Certainly, Inspiresa, John Sadler, he's on a roll out there in stakes races. It's very hard to look past him. He is the 5-2 morning line favorite, very high-priced, uh, big beast filly, $850,000. So uh, she's certainly probably the one to beat. Um, but she is coming back on, on short rest, and, and I'm going to take a filly that's already had uh, two races under her belt. It's very logical to me. Now, the Delmar Futurity is not drawn yet, but knowing you and how you know this business, I think you might already have some inkling of what you think we're going to see in there. Yeah, um, certainly you have to wait to the post-position draw, but um, you know, Eight Rings was, was ultra-impressive in his, in his first start, Empire Maker. Uh, trained by Bob Baffert, his record in the Del Mar Futurity speaks for itself. Um, certainly, and you know, unless he draws the rail, I would say he's probably going to be the heavy favorite in there. Uh, it's a horse that we bred, very good-looking son of Empire Maker. His half sibling is going to be selling in the Keeneland September sale coming up, so we're going to be rooting for a, for a nice big update in the catalog page coming <laughs> and. Uh, 
certainly, uh, you know, I, th- I think with Baffert and a high and a, an extremely probably low, low odds favorite here, um, if he doesn't draw the rail, I would I would think that he's definitely the horse to beat. Baffert has won the Del Mar Futurity seventy five times. That's not literally true. It just seems <laughs> that way. Moving things back to the East Coast, we've got the pair of Grade Ones. For two-year-olds, these races always have major Breeders' Cup implications as horse players. Pay particular attention to these races. Uh, Definitely worth doing the 100% job. I'd say it's even worth watching before the races are run and hearing if you can pick up a tidbit from a trainer interviewed somewhere or maybe Maggie Wolfendale in the paddock, something that's going to give you a clue to which of these runners might stretch out or really be pointed for later in the season or which ones you can sometimes pick up the vibe that this is their, this could be their Breeders' Cup de facto. It's worth paying close attention all the time, but particularly when it comes to races like this that you know you're going to be handicapping the Breeders' Cup in just a couple months' time and try to pick it up anything extra. Let's go to Sunday, race number 11, the grade one spinaway a horse that's going to come up a little bit later in the show. Frank's Rocket in here certainly caught my eye. What do you think of this one, Sean? I mean, just looking on paper, I mean, there's four in the mischief fillies in this race. I know there was like an article about in the mischief last week and in the TDN uh, going into Saturday and, and how a lot of his horses are showing up in, in these major grade one races and, and two turns. And but Holy smokes. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be tough to beat the end of Mr. Phillies in here. That's for sure. And Frank's Rockette, you know, uh, the Adirondack was a roughly run race down the stretch. I thought Frank's Rockette split Phillies and, and power her way through and just coming up a half length short um, showed a lot of guts. Uh, she's going to have to move forward on, on numbers, but I do think she's a horse you have to look at. Um, I'm probably going to land here on Risky Mischief, uh, New York bred daughter of End of Mischief uh, for the, the hot – Jeremiah Englehart, who's had a great meet with two-year-olds. Um, he's got a, a horse in the main special way called Three Techniques um, this weekend that, that looks like he should be a, a, a single on a lot of tickets. But um, certainly this filly was very impressive in her first start. Uh, it was against State Bread, but she drew off to win by seven lengths. Uh, did it professionally. She's had the time. Um, so she should be coming into this in, in prime shape. I love her workout. Her pattern's good. And uh, gets the meet, meets leading rider, Jose Ortiz. So uh, he's going to be a hard one. She's going to be a hard one to look past. But uh, just inside of her, the, all, the very tough in every race, the Chad Brown barn with Javier Castellano. Uh, actually broke her maiden in the exact same day as Risky Mischief, just in the open uh, race that was going five and a half. One by five, uh, but uh, figure speech I think is going to be a very difficult Philly uh, too. So I think I'm going to be splitting hairs between risky mischief and figure speech. But uh, you know it's a very good field, although not a, a, a real big field. I think it's it's a very competitive field, and uh, there's some really good Phillies. I mean, you got Shippy. Uh, I haven't seen the morning light odds, but on on the outside was it was a private purchase for Doug O'Neill. Uh, caught an off track last time. And uh, I have to go back and watch replay, maybe even try to come up the rail. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but uh, that's a horse if it gets back on, on fast dirt and, uh, and gets, to, gets to stretch out a little bit. But uh, Shippy at a, at a price might be a one to keep an eye on, that's for sure. Yeah, looked very impressive on the, on the first day, that's, uh, that's for certain. You slipped in a bonus selection. Tell us a little bit more about uh, the, 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 the three techniques horse you mentioned. 
Well, we talk a lot about running lines on 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 this show, and uh, certainly those come into play even more, I think, on two-year-olds than than a lot of times on older horses. Um, but three techniques is a Mr. Speaker horse of uh, August Dawn Farm, uh, Coach Parcells. He's had a he, what he, is it Munaki? Is that a, is that the correct pronunciation of of his horse that won? Um, the other day for Jeremiah, but but three techniques for Jeremiah Inglehart uh, was uh, second time was just second to who I think is could quite possibly could win the uh, hopeful, but Basin, and um, so I think three techniques should be a very tough horse on on one of the undercard races here this weekend, and um, so I think they were six clear of third place in, in their maiden race. Basin was beaten first time out by By Your Side, came back to win the uh the sanford so there's a lot of uh positives in, in those running lines and, and this horse making his third lifetime start should be very difficult to beat you mentioned the hopeful let's talk about it we don't have it drawn at this time so there's that caveat but i'm curious where your eye is drawn at this point looking at the probable entries um this is this is this is a i think lineup to be one of the best hopefuls we've seen in quite some time um certainly it can get deflated if some of these horses that won very impressively first time out don't quite come back. But I mean, between Basin, Green Light Go, Gazilla, Shoplifted, you have By Your Side, who's always a, already a great stakes winner. Um, I mean, that's six very good two-year-olds that uh, I think are going to be lining up. I, I do think Basin was one of the most impressive races. I do like that he's already run twice. He had to battle a really good horse in three techniques to have already uh, won. Uh, his, he ran over the surface, which is always good, which uh, I believe all of these horses probably in the race have. Um, but, you know, the horse, you know, I think as far as the East Coast is concerned, Green Light Go might be the one to dethrone as the top two-year-old at the moment. You know, he's two for two. I think both of his races were very good. I thought his Saratoga special was, was exceptional when at the 16th pole he kind of shook everybody clear and, and leveled out and it showed a horse that, that definitely wants more distance, which he's going to get here going seven. I think I'm sure there's going to be a, a healthy pace up front and he should lay a good trip. So, you know, I'm going to probably land on green light go all depends on the, the draw for sure. But uh, I'm really excited about this race. I think you've got a lot of good, good Colts in this race. There's a lot of not unique, but a lot of very specific angles. I think that help in these races. Cause you've got, the added ground, which I think really matters and people often don't take a look that deeply at. You have a lot of horses who've been winning, uh, commanding races on the front end, and you have to ascertain from a pace point of view, is that going to be the way this race is run, or is it a situation that could yield a meltdown and then perhaps a long shot winner? I always love to see horses who can pass, not necessarily to win. I still think speed usually is going to win, but I feel like you can sometimes get a big bomb who doesn't fit on numbers to run in underneath in these spots as a horse player. That's something I look at. But you mentioned something when you were talking about the hopeful that I just wanted to follow up on quickly. How important is it to you, not just the number of horse rants, but the, ran, but the fact that they showed their mettle by defeating another serious horse as opposed to just were, were able to dominate a field that really couldn't uh, couldn't warm them up. How important is that battle testing to you when we get to this time of the year for two-year-olds? Um, I think it's at, at any point uh, one, of, one of the greatest 
attributes a horse can have that uh, everybody tries to find, but it, but is it's very difficult. Is is the heart? It's something that you cannot measure. You cannot measure that will to win, um, and and seeing horses that that have that fight, have that desire, and that takes you a long way. That that overcomes a lot. I mean, um, you, you know that. Ought, you might not always be the best horse in the race, but if you've got the biggest heart, sometimes that can overcome a lot. I, you know, I think you can go over history and say, at the end of the day, you can say, well, that horse wasn't quite as good as that other horse, but on, you know, but he had some serious heart. And, um, but it also separates the really good ones too. Cause if you have that talent and you have that speed and you also have that will to win, that's when you can get the superstar factor. So, um, especially being able to see it early on, gives you a lot of a lot of hope gives you gives you uh um i guess a little bit of a smell for the roses if you want to say this time of year <laughs> so because you have to overcome a lot to get all the way to there and and you know you can't have setbacks and you have to have horses that that have that will and that desire and and, and love to do what they do out there and, and certainly having already seen that i think with basin uh both of his first two races he had to fight both races you know you saw where that fight helped him in his second lifetime start where he had a little bit more fitness and, and really just absolutely dominated that race. I don't think, you know, I think he went gate to wire and three techniques just couldn't, you know, I don't think he ever could quite get within a length of them. And, uh, they certainly separated themselves from the rest of the field. So that, that's the one thing I, I'm sure as any trainer, as any agent, as, as any owner, there's no greater satisfaction than when you can see your horse have a fight. So Certainly, there's a couple of these horses. You know, that's something we're going to have to find out about Godzilla. I mean, his first race was probably as impressive as any of these, if, if not maybe the most visually impressive race. It was very fast. But, uh, you know, he was four clear of the field at all times. And you can always hear about how a horse can get, get brave on the front end. Now, I think this is uh, a very talented horse. But uh, what's going to happen when he gets eyeballed by some of these horses? Some of these horses have already been eyeballed, and they've, uh, they've repelled those those horses so that's what kind of gets you really excited about this race is you got four or five horses that have pretty good like are fast and have also shown that that fight that will to win so um we'll see who who can uh who can stamp themselves as as the big boy here on the east coast it should be a great race we've got to get to our first guest and now we'd like to welcome to the in the ring podcast airwaves the president of Demeric sales tristan Demeric. how are you my friend doing very well thank you thank you for the call well we appreciate you taking some time out to chat with us today we've got a bunch of things we want to talk about but i want to start off with a horse who just made an amazing impression last weekend not for the first time but the story just keeps getting better and better regarding annals of time and i wanted to ask you about your association with this horse uh, he's a you know special horse to, to us and our entire crew and family out here i mean he's He's one we bought in the 2014 Face of Tipton October sale. Um, you know, we bought him for Klarevich, and he's, you know, he, he broke his maiden at two first time out. He's been to six, and only had eight starts, but um, he had a big, big gap in his, uh, big gap in his starts. He had almost two years off, he had 600 days off uh, before his, before his comeback from this year, and, uh, and the allowance of Saratoga, which was on. Uh, when was that? That was in. He he didn't win his first start back, but he did he did run a really good second in his uh, first start back in the Lions in Saratoga in June. 
And then uh, he won an allowance in Saratoga in July, and then obviously came back last week and was a sword dancer and just uh, yeah, phenomenal race. Can't can't say enough about the job Chad's done with him. You know, he's he's been uh, you know he's been a super talented horse from from the get go, and you know, we're just lucky to have our names on him and a ton of heart you know, for him to come back after after you know a lot of people said he might not make it back. And, and you know, kudos to, to you know, Mr. Clarman for being so patient, such an amazing owner. You can't put a price on that. It, you know, it, you know, just patience. Patience is, uh, you know, a little time. Time is, it was was the, the the making of that horse. You know, and, and you know, like couldn't have done it without without an owner that would give the time. That is definitely a part of Chad Brown's advantage. I think that probably makes other trainers green with envy to have owners who will let him call the shots, let him be patient. Chad, the first one to always credit the team, though. You're, you're deflecting uh, credit back on, on him, but I've heard him in interviews talk about the job that was done rehabbing this horse, and you, you had a hands-on role in that, did you not? We, we did, we did, and, and like I said, I mean, our, our, uh, our foreman and, and uh, assistants on the farm, I mean, our head, head foreman, Sandy, Sandy Scott, did an incredible job with this horse, and she was, it was her project, and she kind of took him under her, uh, took him under her wing, and you know, like I said, it, you know, she just wanted to prove everybody wrong that he could make it back, and she really did did an amazing job with him. And, you know, just patience and lots of TLC and time on vibrating plates and lasers and uh, just just uh, really just time. Time is what really really helped that horse. And uh, you know, we're we're lucky to have him back on the farm. And like I said, he just just lucky to have the opportunity to to rehab the horse. And you know, somebody didn't give up on him when it looked like looked like a lot of people would have. Getting this horse back to the races to be competitive would have been impressive enough. But are even you surprised at the level of brilliance he showed last weekend up here in the Sword Dancer? We were, I mean, like you say, it's, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I mean, definitely we we were, you know, elated. We were just very, I mean, we were happy, so happy that this horse, you know, made it back and to, to grade one level. I mean, he's, you know, obviously he, he won the, uh, the, uh, Hollywood Derby in 2016. Yeah, I won. Yeah, in December 2016, won the Hollywood Derby, and then, you know, to win a Grade One three years later after a 600-day, you know, hiatus. I mean, it's just we're very proud of him. You know, and it just shows the heart. You know, yeah, and, and you know, most horses, a lot of horses can do that. He just has he has so much heart and class. You know, he's just a cool old horse, and we just couldn't be more proud. Trish, Tristan, it's Sean. Um, not only do you guys do an exceptional job with uh with older horses and, and breaking horses for clients but um demeric sales is known as one of the leading consigners year in and year out at the two-year-old juvenile sales uh certainly uh i believe you guys had a record-breaking season in 2019 is that is that correct uh we we did we had a personal you know, personal best year this year and uh, you know we had you know a couple couple horses that uh broke the seven-figure mark which was unbelievable and um like you said, we, we've uh, you know, had, had enjoyed some good results with our two-year-olds out at the track. You know, just won the PG Johnson yesterday, a Palace Malice Philly that we sold in the April sale, one that we pinhooked. And, you know, she it's uh, you know it's been been an unbelievable year, and we're still soaking it in. It's going to be a tough act to follow, but we're definitely going to try. <laughs> one of the fun things to watch too out there is is not only it's yourself out there, but it's it's your father Nick and and your mom who obviously have great reputations and, and then your wife val as well uh is, is it a is it a really fun experience being able to share all that with with your family day in and day out and, and going out and, and working the sales together picking the horses and then 
seeing everything come together at the sales. It really is. It really is. It's, it's so nice to be able to bounce ideas off each other. And yeah, I think we really, all of us play off each other's strengths. And, um, and, and, you know, we, we, you know, we just, you know, we really, we really work well together and it's um, nice to be able to have a family business that's operating, you know, operating very well and, and uh, something that we can hopefully pass on to our kids down the road, you know, and, but no, I say you really, we're really lucky to be able to work with family and it's very rewarding and, um, Definitely, we keep busy. We have our own separate divisions, but basically, we all still work to, together and stay under one roof, and uh, all have the same training center, train under on one track. And like you say, it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's really nice to be able to wake up every morning, and go work with family, and, and like you say, and, and just play with horses all day and, and be, be uh, <laughs> you know, watch horses train. And, and you know, it's it's a, it's a we have to pinch ourselves literally. We're lucky to live the lifestyle we do. That's great. Um... So coming up to, we, certainly we all know that we have the September sale coming up, and that's a marathon. Um, have you guys uh, struck for any any yearlings so far in the early sales, and what kind of strategy do you take into the sales as far as uh, what type of horses you're looking for? Are you looking more for, for freshman sires? Are you looking more for proven horses? What's uh, what's your thought process going into the September sale and, and on the market as a whole? I think um, that's a good question. I think basically – as long as you have the right individual, um, it, it, they'll be a bit, you know, I think you know, first crop sires, definitely we lean towards, we might reach a little deeper on a proven sire. I mean, we just bought two fairly expensive pin hooks out of the, uh, out of the Saratoga sale, you know, into Mischief Colt and uh, Candy Rod Philly, and they were both, you know, 300,000 plus um, to pin hook. And so, I mean, they, they were reaching a little deeper on horses like that that have, uh, you know, deep families behind them. And, and are the kind of physicals we like, uh, but you kind of have to. It, it, the market's just been so polarized; it's just it's harder and harder to get the horses you really want. And you know, we we you know take smaller pieces, include other people, and and uh, you know, and have have some have some partners, and hopefully, hopefully, we can all have a fun ride again like we did last year. What's your feeling about that trend? Is it something that's just it? You don't feel positive or negative about it one way or the other. It just is what it is, or are you? Fully down with the idea of how the business is evolving, with uh, more and more people having to get together because of the prices of these horses that you mentioned in this polarized marketplace. The ones at the the ones at the top. Like you say, it is it is uh, it is tough to to get the ones you want, but um yeah I, I mean it's nice to be able to just split them up and and uh, have partners um you know it just it, it spreads the risk. But like you say, I mean. The market's kind of been going this way, and it's you know there's still, you know there's still some, we'll, we'll still have some inexpensive horses that will we'll pin hook as well, but um, I think that you know if you can kind of lean towards the top end of the market, it's definitely, definitely where where you'd like to be. I mean it, it's kind of that 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 hole we have to get through is just getting smaller and smaller it seems like, but uh, when a horse does do everything right and you know they, then um, you, you're well rewarded for it, you know so. Hopefully they, uh, you know, the horses that we sold well this year continue to, uh, to, to, you know, live up to the expectations of the people who bought them. I wanted to follow up about Cristal, the Palace Malice you mentioned, who won the PG Johnson up here yesterday. Quite a, quite an eventful career so far with the controversial yeah. DQ in the maiden race, then going into the stake yesterday as a maiden, uh, wa- kind of walking out of there uh, at the gate but then really getting on her belly and running through the lane and getting the job done. But just curious to hear a little bit more about what you think about her and her, uh, her chances going forward of continuing to make an impact on this division. 
I think I think she will be a horse we talk about for uh, you know for, for a little time to come too. I mean, I know they're considering Breeders' Cup with her. I mean, she was always a horse we loved on the farm, kind of an overachiever, just loved to train and and uh, did everything right. That uh, that first start in Saratoga was that was tough. Um, you know, he, he uh, she went off at forty forty two to one, and uh, like you say, we we got taken down on a on a bit of a tough call, a bit of a tough call, and. Uh, you know, like you say, she was kind of she was clear in the stretch, and she ended up getting taken down the third. But uh, you know, she was kind of the clear winner in that race too. But at the, you know, it did kind of interfere a bit, did interfere a little bit coming down the lane. So she got taken down, but I'm you know couldn't be more proud that you know that uh, that uh, John Kimmel put her right back in the stake and believed in her enough to do that, and she got her picture taken this time. So again, we're we're really happy about that. We love to see our, our graduates go out and do well for people. So obviously you learned the business through your family, but I was curious how that trajectory went when you were learning all about racing. Did you always uh, stay close to home? Did you go out and spark out on your own for a little while before coming back to a family business? I always like to hear these stories of how the careers evolve in, in horse racing business. How did that unfold for you? Uh, yes, I mean, for the most part, I mean, after, I mean, obviously grew up around the farm and grew up around horses. I mean, all through our, you know, early, early years. I mean, um, we were just, you know, lucky enough to grow up on the farm and have the business operating around us. So we were kind of soaking in a lot without knowing at that time. And then, uh, you know, by the time we were ready to kind of get out of high school and go to college, we, we've, um, you know, you had to pick out career paths and, and, you know, just tried a few different things, but, always came back to horses and by the time i was 17 i was i was uh i was running a barn for my dad and, and you know we yeah i did work a lot of yearling sales for other people and and uh you know but, but i did not uh the, the main you know training you know the big training operation that i've been around is obviously our own so um you know I, I've, I've obviously learned a ton from from uh from family and and uh just soaked in a lot from the people who've come through come through over the years you know we've had a lot of a lot of great clients and a lot of great people come through the farm and, and um, extremely talented horsemen and women and um, just like you said just being around people like that just um, just really kind of sharpens your eye for, for the business uh tristan before we let you go to pete uh impressed upon your background uh there's always somebody you know people who are in this business always have that horse who kind of like uh, struck them or kind of gave them the bug. Do you have that one horse that, that either you, you remember racing or that you remember on the farm that, that gave you the bug that, that kind of made this your life? Whew, that's a good question. I mean, we, uh, the one horse, you know, I'd have to say, I mean, the, the horse, his career got cut short, so it's probably not the best example. Um, he did, he fractured a sesamoid after his first start. Um, but it, it was a horse that was really, uh, you know, really instrumental in my wife and I's, you know, uh, starting the business. I mean, we, we uh, the first year we were actually made a partnership to pin hook some horses for ourselves, and and we uh, we bought a Macho Uno colt. Um, it was the same year Macho again was running, and he was bred on the same cross as Macho again, and uh, we bought him as a foal for nineteen thousand, and um, sold him as a two year old for for eight hundred twenty five, nice. and he uh, broke his maiden. Um, broke his main first time out and beat fed biz in his first start and uh you know looked like he could be a you know seriously talented horse and they're getting ready for for a two-year-old or for for an early start at three and 
he fractured his sesamoid, but he was a horse that uh, just, I mean, that we, we kind of raised, we bought as a foal, we had him, we raised him, and just, just having him, yeah, he, he was he was the first horse that we really owned and did really well together with, and uh, again, it was such a big, a, a big leap in the right direction for our for our business to uh, to operate, you know, sure. for our, you know, separate of, separate of our parents. You know, but I mean, again, it, there, there's been so many horses that we've uh, we've been you know so lucky to be around, and so many great horses over time. I mean, 41 carats was a horse I remember when I was a kid. I was I was you know, I was probably 10, 11 years old. And, you know, having 41 carats out here was was a you know a big big deal, and I remember just you know just just being around lots of good horses over the years, and uh, it just kind of made us made us have the the craving, the bug for the business, and and uh, don't really know anything else, and, and that's uh, you know like you say, we're just lucky to do what we do. A horse that shows you what's possible, I could definitely see that as one that really gets that hook in you to the to another level. What was the name of that the the runner again? The 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 successful pin. He, he was in Macho Rocket. Macho Rocket. He was a great pin hook, and he looked like he was going to be a super. I mean, a very good horse. And like I said, he only had only got one start, and, and uh, unfortunately, hurt got hurt after that. But um, he, he's he was a horse that was just instrumental in our in our lives. And, and uh, like you say, there's been so many though, and just. Each and every one, they're just we're just lucky to, to to do what we do and to just you know spend time with the horses. There, there's a rewarding, very rewarding thing that we do. And, and horses like animals of time, just uh, you know, do, you know, it just makes it all worthwhile. You know, you, when when if that can happen every five five or ten years, I mean, that's just it makes everything we do worthwhile. You know, it's it's great to have a result like that. That's crazy, Kristen, because we uh, we bought a a mare by Macho Rocket. Uh, this season. Did you? And she's, yeah, she's the half to uh, she's a half to Frank's Rockette, who runs in the in the spinaway this sure. weekend. So we we we, we oh, nice. So the legacy lives on. That's amazing. Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, very good. Macho Rocket. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, breeding mares for a thousand dollars in Arkansas. Somewhere yeah, down in Arkansas. He, yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. Right, well, good luck with that one. I hope. Hope uh, you know he, he can he can do well for you. He, he was just a cool horse, cool horse that one as well. I mean, but there's been so many. Like I said, it's hard to hard to pick one. Well, thank you so much, Tristan, for your time today. There's some great stories, and look forward to continuing the conversation in person in the near future. All right, thank you very much, Pete. Thanks, Sean. You guys take care. Thank Thanks, Tristan. See you soon. Bye bye. And now we welcome to the In the Ring Airwaves the longtime assistant to Shug McGahee, Robbie Medina. Robbie, how are you today? Very good. Yourself? Oh, life is good, man. We're having some gorgeous weather up here in Saratoga. And uh, I was very excited the other day to walk over to the plant and see the new colors on the canoe. How did it feel when you first uh, set your eyes on those? Ah, uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh been a long time uh, when I uh, it was a long time since Coronado's Quest so, <laughs> so it was pretty cool to see the the canoe with uh, Mr. Ferris's colors I wanted to talk about your association with the McGahee barn I'm I'm now knowing it goes back at least as far as Coronado's Quest one of my early favorites in the game and one of my favorite Travers memories that year how did you get involved with the McGahee operation in the first place uh, I started in uh, 1995 with Chug. I, I'm originally from Chicago, and I worked my way to New York. I worked for Angel Penna Jr. for a year and a half, but I was always fascinated with the fifth stable and tried to figure out a way to get a job there. And it took me a year and a half, but I finally got it. 
And, and uh, they, ha- they haven't fired me since, so. <laughs> <laughs> it must be an amazing thing when you're working with an operation like the Phipps's and getting to work with literally generations of these horses. Is there any specific memory you have about uh, something you've seen from one of the from one of the the offspring of a horse that you worked with years ago? I mean, is it is there any aspect of it that's kind of like being in a time warp, or or is it really each one a new a new project? Uh no, it's each one's kind of different. But the one that always sticks out to me, we had a filly named Matlache Pass, and. Uh, Remember, she came up, like, during the middle of Saratoga of her two-year-old year from the farm. And uh, she worked one day here, and just easy. And that's the first year I was an assistant here. And I remember I went to, when we got back to Belmont, we breezed her out of the gate, and I was back at the gate. And she left there, and when I got back to the barn, I asked Sugar, I said, what would you get? And he told me, I said, this filly is flat-out run. And I remember the first time we ran her, Neil Howard had a filly named Secret Status that was the favorite. Sure. And uh, she was, I'll never forget, Malachay was the one. And I told everyone that I knew that liked to bet. And <laughs> I said, you just bet and just watch. <laughs> and I think she won by about 10. If I'm uh, going seven, eight. And Jerry Bailey rode her. And I remember he said, it's been a while since I rode a two-year-old like that. She wound up getting hurt. Didn't run again to her three-year-old year, and she won. And she was up here at Saratoga getting ready to breeze for the test, and she broke her leg. Ah. And uh, long story short, two of her foals are some of the best horses I've ever been around. It's a filly named Pine Island sure, and Point of Entry. Oh, that's great. Pine Island, Alabama yeah. winner, I believe, right? Yeah, she was an unbelievable filly. And Point of Entry is one of the best horses I've ever had the privilege to put my two hands on. So that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Robbie, it's Sean here, but, uh, yeah, that, that's gotta be so pleasing and, and absolutely, and actually probably a lot of fun to be involved with, you know, generations of Phillies and starting to see the different characteristics between all the different families. Um, going back to the Travers this past week, and, and obviously you've, you've been associated with several Travers winners now and, and uh, but why don't you just take us kind of through the progression of, of Code of Honor? Certainly, uh, he stamped himself as a very talented horse last year when he broke his maiden first time out at Saratoga, um, and just kind of you know that progression. He took you to the Derby, um, and then and then came through in a big way to win the uh, the Midsummer Derby. Yeah, well, after Derby, when we got back to Belmont, Suge, a few days later, he told me, he said, what do you think if we just run in the Dwyer, Jim Dandy, Travers, and just skip that other stuff? And I said, that sounds good to me. And uh, obviously, we didn't run in the Jim Dandy, but it very rarely works where we didn't have a pebble in our path with this horse. Every work, he's a really good workhorse. I, you know, he never worked bad, but every work was just ultra impressive. And, you know, when he was down in Florida and even up to the Derby, you know, he's not very big, but he was, you know, a little lighter than you would like him. And it's amazing, just that little, we never stopped on him, but just not running in any of those other races, you could just see he started to fill out just enough where, you know, there was a lot more horse there. And when we came up here, I mean, we were extremely confident. 
And uh, when they ran to Jim Dandy, I mean, I was confident he could, you know, he was better than those. And, you know, we just seen if that maximum security or game one were going to run, and, it, you know, but we weren't going to duck him, obviously. But when he worked Monday before the Travers, I didn't care who was in the race. I mean, he, that's, he, he worked as good as you'll ever see a horse work around a track. Yeah, I, I remember being down there at Payson Park with you over the wintertime and, and watching him breeze, and, and uh, he certainly has come on physically. Uh, also, he, you know, being out of a Dixie Union mayor and, and, and being by Noble Mission, um, he's, he's won going short. He's won around one turn. He's, he's, he's now won going a mile and a quarter. He's, he's got to be a pretty fun horse to be able to sit down and look at the stake schedule and, and try to map out a, a plan for. So what, what, yeah. what do you see for him going forward? I would think the Jockey Cup Gold Cup, I mean, I've always thought, I mean, he obviously he's won on other tracks, but I've always thought Belmont's his favorite track. And uh, and I would just think that Sugar's has already mentioned it, mentioned it, but I would think that's where going forward, that's where, you know, be his race right there. That makes perfect sense. I, I wanted to ask you about another runner in the McGahee barn who made a very favorable impression on Saturday on the undercard, um, on the grass, performer. Tell us a little bit about this runner. And, I mean, I, I watched that race and thought there's some big things for this one uh, in the future. Yes, he was – he was uh, um, Code of Honor didn't come to us. He was at Fair Hill first. We did the first time I saw Code Vines was at Saratoga. We had performer came in in May at Belmont last year, and he was he's a big he's a very big good looking horse, and he was always for me. I don't I can't speak on anyone's behalf. I thought he was the best two year old we had, and uh, you know he uh, it took us a while to get him there, and we ran him in, in November, and. Uh, it doesn't look like it. I know he got B five lengths, but he didn't have the trip that you would have thought he would have had that day. And he had to get his ankle operated out and a chip taken out after that. And when he came back, I mean, knock on wood, everything has been straightforward. I mean, he is an ultra talented horse. There's, and I, he wants to run further than seven eighths of a mile. But we haven't figured out where our next step with him is. We, he may have to run another loss race going long, but. Going forward, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. Robbie, uh, something else. We, we, we've seen the August Dawn colors uh, have a really good season here at Saratoga. Uh, I know that you have a long association with Coach Parcells, and uh, there's been several times when we're standing on the rail early in the morning, you've always got some good antidotes. Uh, why don't you just talk about a little bit about your, your relationship with Coach Parcells and, and how – how amazing it is to be able to sit there and, and pick the brain of a of a Hall of Famer. Certainly, you get you get to pick the brain of a Hall of Famer with both Co- Coach Parcells and Shug. Yeah, well, uh, Shug, I guess it'd probably be 20, 20 years ago or so, had a horse for Coach back then. And I remember he was at the barn one morning at Belmont, and I went up to him and I introduced myself to him, and being from Chicago, I reminded him of the 1985 playoff game when the Bears <laughs> beat him 23 to nothing. And then uh, he reminded me of them beating the Bears in 1986. <laughs> and for some reason, that's, that we've had a friendship ever since then. And, 
once he quit coaching and stuff. And then about uh, three years ago or so, he kind of just asked me, he said, can you help me, you know, buy, buy a horse? I'd like to, you know, see if I could, you know, my goal is to have a really good horse. And if I could help him, I said, sure. I had, I've never bought a horse ever before. And I said, sure, I'll go to sales. And, and you know, I try to act like I knew what I was looking at. And, uh, <laughs> we've had a couple decent ones so far. And uh, we have a very nice honor code Philly uh, form that she got hurt at Belmont. And she'll be coming back to us when we get down there. But I think she may be the best one of all of them when it's all said and done. You're making so, but he's a pretty cool guy. I mean, I get to hear about football players I never knew about, and you know, it's just pretty cool to hear some of the stories he has. You're making me flash back to that game uh, in '85 and uh, the punt that all went wrong. But that's <laughs> pretty. Yeah, Sean, you think Sean you think you got a bad flashback? Yeah. I got to think about Norwood every time he talks about Parcells. <laughs> wide right, wide right. But is it true, Robbie? Oh. I hear that the, the, the wise guy move, if you do want to engage Coach Parcells in conversation, is to stay away from football and engage him on baseball. I hear he's much more willing to talk about, uh, to talk about the Yankees than he is the NFL. Is that true? Yeah, not? he's um, – he's, uh... You know, baseball is my first love, and it's his as well. So people, you know, it's hard. You know, people don't believe me when I say we talk more baseball than anything. <laughs> and uh, so that, yeah, he'll talk baseball all day. And uh, he took me this spring. We went to the uh, national the spring training game, and I got to meet Max Scherzer. So our goal is to find a horse as fast as Max Scherzer to throw a fastball, and we're going to name it Scherzer. That's great. Keep an eye out for that yeah. one. You'll, you'll save that name for a special one, it sounds like. Yeah, well, we have another one that we've, we we haven't found yet. Uh, I remember a few years ago I asked him, what position did Leroy Selman play? And he said, whatever position he wanted to play, why? <laughs> I said, he was that good. He said, he was that good. And I told him one day, I said, Coach, we're going to find us a Selman one day. And he said, we need to find one of those. Oh, that's great. Oh, it's fun hearing that, how these how the evolution of the names is always uh, is always great. Yeah. It's always great stuff to hear. But I yeah. I love hearing those stories and the, the, the commonality between different sports. It's no surprise to me that you see so many football coaches, baseball managers, people from that, that side of things who get interested in who get interested in our game. Um, let me ask you a baseball question. Are you? I'm assuming you're going to be either uh, either Cubs or White Sox. I'm a Cubs fan, but my father is from the Bronx, so I had to root for the Yankees, and I still do. But I, I do. My heart is with the Cubs. <laughs> well, you're. I think you're gonna. Your heart is half happy then, right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Cubs just swept the Mets, and a lot of my friends are Mets fans, so. They're not texting me or calling me. <laughs> yeah. They're not. They're not looking for 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 a nice winner this last weekend of of Saratoga from you. No, I, I haven't heard from any of my Mets fans uh, friends. We're quiet right now because it was very cruel and very Mets-like what they did to us uh, this Saratoga. The the whole idea of raising up the hopes only to crash them on the rocks yeah. of despair. But we're used to it. You know, yeah. we're we're used to 
We, we have nightmares about uh, it, it's, it's basically the Matt Harvey World Series game writ large uh, oh. over and over again. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, Robbie, I, I do have a, have a question for you, and, and it pertains to one of our close friends who will be on the show to, to uh, stand up for himself on the grade that you give him. But uh, why don't you know, you had a close working relationship there with, with our friend Max Hodge from Phasic Tipton. And uh, he claims he's quite the horseman. Now, you tell me, how would you grade him on, on when he worked for, with you and Suge? And, and was, he, was he any good at turning left? <laughs> well, I would tell you a, a couple stories about Max. Now, he came there, and, and we called him either country or something when he came there. He, had, he was chewing tobacco and all that stuff. And he told me about how much he knew about horses. Well, he gave the pony a bath one time at Gulfstream Park. <laughs> And when he got done giving that pony a bath, he had more water on himself than the pony had on him. So I don't know if he could give a horse a proper bath. I can't answer that question. And uh, he was uh, – when I was still a groom then, and he, walks, uh, he walked a lot of the horses that I rubbed. And he walked – I had a horse named Diamond, the Mr. Prospector. Half-brother inside information was meaner than a rattlesnake. And I remember that horse turned around and took took Max. They were running down the Chevro together. <laughs> so, well, so, I will but, say but this Max much. Max has been no. a lot better horseman since he's been sitting behind a desk. <laughs> I, I, I will say the one thing he's perfected since that, that first bath is, is keeping those pants dry. I think he gets an A plus on keeping yeah. those khakis clean. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. You guys are you guys are yeah. too you guys are too much. We're gonna need to have some equal time on here now at uh, yeah. at some point. <laughs> Robbie, I've got one more one more serious question for you and then we will let you get on with your day. We appreciate the time today. But I was just curious what your day to day is like around the barn when does your day begin what does it largely consist of i think a lot of people would be interested in in hearing that who are in out in our audience uh i i get to the barn around little uh, five o'clock a little before five in the morning and you know you just walk down the shed row and you know make sure all the horses are you know ate their breakfast there's a lot of them you know we feed at three in the morning so a lot of them if you ever get one that didn't finish their breakfast you know that's usually an indication they're either sick or something's wrong, but that's rarely you that happens. But you, that's the first thing I check, and and you know just make sure you know. Then the second thing is make sure all the help's there, and then you know, kind of we usually start with our first set at five thirty in the morning and kind of get that first set out, and from that moment on it, it goes pretty quick. And then we're usually done training around ten ten thirty. And um, we're usually done about 11.30, and you know, I have a little break after that and come back to the barn at 2.30, and we get horses out and walk them, feed them at 4, and check their feed tubs at 5 to see how they ate. And about 5.30, usually, you know, that's it for the day. But the most – obviously, the training is a, the most important part, but I've always felt that in the afternoon when you're in the barn – you learn a lot more about your horse, actually, than you do in the morning. That's fascinating. They what do you mean breathe. by that? Yeah, they could go out there and breeze great, especially young horses. You know, sometimes you take them to the gate and you breeze them and they breeze great. And you get back in the afternoon and you get them out and, you know, mentally you can see it's, it, it got to them. You know, or you see, you know, you see 
for me in the afternoon, you see your horse in a better light too. You know, you see him on the end of a shank grazing and stuff like that. You might see something there that you can't see in the morning. So, and, you know, and the, and you get to learn your horse, how they eat, their mannerisms, and you kind of know. You know, you kind of they kind of top themselves. You know, if you you know could pay attention to those things. That's great. Do you spend much time over on the on the front side, or are you are you backside almost always? Oh, no, I, I try to, whenever there's a good race or something, I try to either go up in the grandstand and watch it, or I'll go to the backside over there and kind of watch it by, you know, the 5-8 pole and watch the races in there. But uh, there's, you know, I can't watch enough races. It doesn't matter if it's a race from Beulah Park or wherever. I, if it's on TV, I'll watch it. That's excellent. Do you do you uh, are you a horse player as well? Do you enjoy reading the form and betting on random races, or more just like the physical act of watching a race and seeing what the riders are doing, etc.? Oh, I, I'll bet here and there, and uh, but there's not a day that goes by I don't read the form. That's correct. I read the form every day. I can remember as a kid, you know, my dad teaching me how to read the form when I was about eight or nine years old. So that's uh, that's that's my Bible. That's great. And does that help you in your in your job? I mean, for some people, I feel like the horsemanship and the looking at the paper are like they can be totally different. Um, th does one help you with the other? Yeah, you know, anytime we have a horse in, the first thing I want to do is see the form and see, you know, what's what. And But I've always been one, if your horse is doing well and, it, you know, you shouldn't worry about who's in there. And you shouldn't take away from what your horse likes to do. So if you got a speed horse, there's speed. If you got a closer and the, the race looks like there's no pace, so that's just the way it's going to be. You know, let them run their race, and more times than not, it it'll work. They'll run good, better that way. Robbie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us here. We got to have you back on soon, and uh, I don't know. I'm going to take a wild guess. There may be some uh, there there may be some shots taken at you on future editions of this uh, of this podcast. I, I don't know that that uh, that aggression is going to is going to stand versus your man. Oh, that, that's okay. I have I have big shoulders, and you know I'll stick my neck out there. If someone wants to poke upon me, I'm I'm good with that. Cheers, my friend. Thank you again. <laughs> And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. Boy, that was an extremely fun show for me. I always say with this show, it's an opportunity for me to learn something every week, and I certainly did that thanks to our fantastic guests, Tristan Demerick and Robbie Medina. Thank you also, of course, to Sean Tugel. Been doing such a great job uh, basically producing these shows from a content perspective and keeping things going during what's obviously a crazy time of the year for him. Also want to thank all of you, the listeners, who make all of our shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. He is still sitting on my porch. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.